0: Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Well, hello. Good to see you all this morning. Good to be in the room with the 9.30 service. Wow, you're excited about that. It's good to be in the room with the 9.30 service. Come on. And it's also good to be online at 9.30 a.m. with all of you guys, wherever you may be. I am here to kick off our next series, which is called, Who Are You Gonna Call? Who are you going to? going to call. Now, you're not all about to start breaking out singing, I can tell, because we are not going to call the Ghostbusters, but we are going to call a few people of heroes of faith from the Bible. So, I know you've all just sat down, and you've all just got comfy in your seats, but before we get into the Word, I would love for us just to take a moment to thank God. So, why don't we stand stand to our feet, because this Bible, and all Bibles, are filled with heroes of the faith. They are filled with men and women who have gone before us, who have lived out a life of faith, and we get to have this with us today, to be able to journey our faith and our life in God. So why don't you close your eyes, if you're comfortable, extend your hands to heaven, and if you're at home, do this too, and let's thank God for his word. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the living, breathing, active word of God that can transform lives. We thank you for the men and women that have gone before us. And we thank you that we get to stand on their legacy. That we get to outwork our faith through learning from them. So we pray today that you will speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take your seats wherever you are. So today... We are going to journey through the story of four characters in the Bible. And we are going to tell the story of these four different characters. We'll meet them at different points. But the first person that we are going to meet is a guy called Samuel. Now Samuel was a judge. Judges were not like we have judges now. They didn't wear funny hats and sit and uh, cast judgment to people who uh, may have been in court. No, what they did was they governed God's kingdom. God was the king, they were the judge, and they outworked the kingdom of God on earth. They did what God asked them to do. So Samuel was a judge, and his people that he governed over was the people of Israel, the Israelites. And Samuel was looking after this group of people, but we meet Samuel at the point of retirement. So Samuel was coming out of this position, out of this role, and there was no one to take over. He didn't have anyone who was appropriate to take over after him. So the people of Israel say to him, Samuel, we want a king. We want a human king to look after us and to govern over us. Everybody else has got one. Them over there, them over there, them over there. We want a king too. Now, what's important is that they weren't rejecting Samuel by asking for this. They were rejecting God. They were saying, we don't want God to be our king anymore. We want a human king to be our ruler. Now, what Samuel said to the people is, guys, Don't you know that this is a really bad idea? If you have a human king, you will have to pay taxes. If you have a human king, he will send your sons to fight in war. If you have a human king, things are going to go wrong for you. But the people say, no, 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 no. We know best. We want a human king. And Samuel gives them one last warning. He says, guys, if you do this, when it goes wrong... And you call out to God for help, God's going to say, I don't hear you. You rejected me, so I do not hear your calls for help. And the people say, Samuel, we know best. Give us a king. So Samuel chats to God, and God says, give the people what they want. So Israel gets a king. And we meet this king um, who he didn't grow up as any kind of royal. He didn't grow up thinking he was going to be a king. But he was classic king material. He was strong, he was tall, he was handsome. And what's more, he was from the warrior tribe of Benjamin. He was classic king. If you could choose someone from the audience, he was going to be picked. Now he was 30 when he became to be king. So he hadn't grown up in that world. He came later on in life. And this second character is a guy named Saul. Now, Saul had a family. He had sons, and one of his sons is our third character. It's a guy called Jonathan. Now, remember, Jonathan hadn't grown up thinking that he was going to be heir to the throne. No, he had grown up as a farmer's boy. He'd grown up thinking that he was going to be a farmer, and he was not thinking he was going to be heir to the throne. But that's exactly what happened. Jonathan became heir to the throne because Saul became king when he was 30. So we're going to fast forward a few years and we are going to go rapid fire today. So I hope you are prepared to stay, in, um, stay listening and maybe take some notes. And if you want, follow along on version because I'm going to go through quite a few different scriptures. Two years into Saul's reign, there is a battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. Now, there, this is a long battle. It's not like a one day done and dusted. It is a battle that will continue throughout the whole of our story and beyond. Now, what happens is Jonathan is over here in one camp with a 1,000 men leading in his, in his battle, and Saul is over here with his army with 2,000 men. And the two of them are fighting the Philistines. Now, Jonathan and his 1,000 men win their battle. It's important to say at this point, Jonathan was only a teenager. Jonathan wasn't a, you know, a fully fledged adult at this point. He was a teenager leading 1,000 men into battle. And over here, we've got Saul. And what we're going to do is we're going to zoom into Saul and find out what is going on at the camp over here. So, in 1 Samuel, Chapter 13, verse 7 to 10, it says this, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Now, just wait here for a moment. So what is happening is before the battle starts, they're going to give an offering to God, and they're going to ask for blessing as they go into battle. And this has to happen by somebody who has the authority to do that. So in the Bible days, we had kings, we had prophets, we had judges, we had priests. They all had different roles. Saul's role was king. Saul's role was to lead them into battle. Whereas Samuel's role, he had the authority to make offerings and to ask for blessing. Now, what Saul did was he invaded the priesthood. He invaded the priesthood. He went over a boundary and he said, I'm not going to wait like I've been asked to do. No, I'm going to do this myself. And he invaded the priesthood. Now, what he did is he asked for blessing out of an act of disobedience. Blessing never comes through disobedience. Then Samuel says this, what have you done? And Saul gives him some excuses and he points the finger and he tries to shift the blame. And Samuel says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Two years in to Saul's reign, he makes a huge monumental decision that affects all of history. At this point, judgment is given and God rejects Saul because of his poor character. We start to see Saul's true colors. We start to see that he's disobedient. We start to see that he's a bit of a hothead. We start to see that he shifts and points the blame to other people. And it's not just a choice, like me and you might make bad choices in a moment all the time, I'm sure. But this is a moment that affects history, it affects the future. Because at that point, the monarchy passed from Saul and his heirs to a man after God's own heart. It passed from Jonathan, who was heir to the throne, to somebody else because of the disobedience of Saul. Now, it's important to say that Saul continues to reign for 38 years, and it only goes downhill from there. So speaking of Jonathan, the one who the heir has passed, now remember he's in a different place. He's busy fighting his battle whilst his dad is making some poor life choices over here. uh, Jonathan says this to his armor bearer. Let's go, let's go and sneak off, let's leave the, the camp and let's go and fight some of these Philistines over here. Now, the important thing is that Jonathan isn't just looking for a fight. He's not just looking for a good time. No, he's asking God for blessing over that. He asks God whether this is a good idea. And he says something very poignant to his armor bearer. He says, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. See, Jonathan had a faith in God, and he asked God, make it plain. If this is your plan, make it plain, and we will go and do it. And what happened is God gave them the green light, and they went into battle, and two men triumphed over 20. Two men triumphed over 20. And at this point, we can start to see Jonathan's character. He's a character who has a faith in God. He's a character who has courage, and he has obedience. See, Jonathan put himself in a position where God was able to come through for them. Jonathan put himself in a position where he had such faith in God that God was able to come through for him. Jonathan wasn't like his dad. Jonathan had courage. Now, as the story moves on, these traits don't change. Saul continues to be disobedient. And he, again, defies the obedience of God, and he does something so big, so wrong, that again, God says, Saul, I reject you as king. And at this point, Samuel says, Saul, I wash my hands of you. You are on your own. I am out, because you keep disobeying God. I can't help you anymore. And Saul, uh, Samuel stops going to see Saul, and he stops going giving him advice, And he leaves Saul up to his own devices, as it were. Now, this is quite hard for Samuel to do because Samuel's the one who found um, Saul. Samuel's the one who put him into position. And Samuel was a human guy, so he mourned the loss of this relationship. He was upset by what had happened, by how it had all worked out. And then God says this to Samuel How long are you going to mourn? I rejected Saul. So go, get your horn, which was for anointing, and go and see Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And this is where we meet our fourth and final character, David. In chapter 16, verse 12, David is anointed to be future king. Now, this doesn't happen like a grand ceremony like we would have here in England where you'd cross cross over the baton and you'd have a huge media presence or anything like that. No, it happens in a room in private with family, and he's anointed to be king. That doesn't happen for many, many years to come. So why David? Well, remember that God was asking for somebody who was a man after his own heart. A man who pursued God's heart. A man who did the things that God was asking him to do. A man who was outworking the kingdom of God. David was that guy. David did as the Lord requested. Now after the anointing um, of David, the Lord departs Saul and Saul is tormented by spirits. And to find some kind, of, um, some, some kind of rest from these torment of spirits, Saul wanted someone to come and play music for him. Saul wanted to find someone who would be able to play and he could relax around some music. Now David was a master musician. So guess what happens? David becomes the musician for Saul. And David starts entering the palace and spending time in the palace. Now, we don't know this, but I like to think this is where Jonathan and David start to become friends. As David's coming in and playing instruments and music, maybe Jonathan and David start to become friends. Now, we are going to fast forward to chapter 17 and 18, where we reach the famous story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine uh, giant, and David was just the shepherd's boy who played some music for the king. But David defeated the giant, and he became the giant killer. Now, two really important things happen at this moment. Number one, Saul decides, I want him around all the time. I don't want him just to play music. No, I want him around all the time. And the second thing that happens is Jonathan and David start to become BFFs after this moment. They become best friends. Chapter 18, verse 3 says this, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, did Jonathan know at this point that it was going to be David who was king? We don't know. But at the very least, this action can be taken as a token of his love and friendship. And at its very most, it can be taken that Jonathan wanted to ensure David would appear in court, not as a shepherd, but as a prince. Jonathan and David had a personal covenant, which withstood time and even death itself. So here we have Jonathan loving David as himself, and we have Saul who all the while becomes more and more suspicious and jealous of David. Now I told you we are moving fast, and a lot can happen in a chapter, because as we go from chapter 18 and we get to chapter 19, Saul starts to pursue to kill David, which becomes a lifelong pursuit. Now, Jonathan, because he's best friends with David, goes and gives him a heads up. Hey, my dad is trying to kill you. And Jonathan goes to Saul and says, please don't kill my friend. Please. He's not, what has he done? Stop trying to kill my friend. And Saul says, all right, I won't kill David. Don't worry. Now, at this point, Saul is also revealed as a liar because he continues to pursue David and tries to kill him. Now, after some time goes by, Jonathan and David decide that they're going to bring these, light, these uh, plans into the light. They're going to make it plain. They're going to show everybody that actually Saul is trying to kill David. And in 19 verse 30, it says this. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. And Jonathan turns around and says to his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asks this, but Saul hurls his spear at him to try and kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Clear as day, Jonathan knows that if David is alive, Jonathan isn't going to be king. If David's alive, the heir is not being the throne, is not passing to Jonathan. And yet he defended David to the point of risking his life. Now David and Jonathan, they meet up and Jonathan shares that, he, he yes, Saul is definitely trying to kill you. And what they do is they cry, they have a, you know, they have a hug, they say goodbye, they promise that they're going to be friends forever, that have got you back. And David goes and hides, Jonathan goes back to the city, and Saul continues his lifelong pursuit to try and kill David. Now the second part of the script that you can see on your screen says this. What happens is this is the last recorded conversation we have between Jonathan and David in chapter 23, verse 17. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Jonathan says, I'm going to be with you. I will be championing you. I've got your back. I will be next to you. As you are king, I will be there championing you. Even when it was risky, even when there was death at their door, Jonathan went out and he sought David and he looked him in the eye and he said, I champion you. I see something within you. I pull it out of you. Even though I am at risk myself, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to point you towards God and I'm going to remind you of your destiny. Jonathan didn't just accept that he wasn't going to be king. He did absolutely everything he could to make sure that David was king. And our story of these characters come to an end in chapter 31, when Saul, Jonathan, and his two brothers go off to fight again against the Philistines. And this is a testimony again to Jonathan's character that he stood by his dad as king until the very end. He didn't rebel against his father. He wasn't dishonest towards his father. He was honoring to him. He stood by him right until the very death, where they all died in battle that day. And sadly, Jonathan wouldn't be next to David when David became king. But you do know the heartfelt agony that David felt when we move forward into 2 Samuel. You can hear the loss that David felt of the death of his friend. Now, this series is called Who Are You Going to Call? Who are you going to call? Now, if I get a choice, I'm calling Jonathan. If I need a friend, I'm calling Jonathan. If I need somebody to encourage me and to call greatness out of me, I'm calling Jonathan. If I need a leader to fight 20 men when there's just two of them, I'm calling Jonathan. If I want a courageous leader, if I want a faithful friend, and if I want a godly man, I'm calling Jonathan. Jonathan had three core relationships, just like you and I. Three core relationships. Jonathan and self, Jonathan and others, Jonathan and God. And in the remaining few minutes that we have left, I want to explore how can we be like Jonathan. See, I think Jonathan was a bit of a hero. Jonathan had a relation with himself, and he had a strong character. Why? Because character is self-leadership. Character is self-leadership. And we've seen that Jonathan was a courageous guy. He was a faithful guy. He was obedient. And yet he was the backstory to everybody else. He was never the main character. So I think Jonathan was an unlikely hero. He's not the guy that you automatically would think of, but he was an unlikely hero. And here is what I want to encourage us with today is guess what? You and I, we can be the unlikely hero too. See, we don't have to be king We don't have to be number one. We don't have to be the be-all and end-all, the biggest boss, the best CEO, the one in the newspapers or the one on media screen. No, you can be in your everyday and you can be a hero. You can be the the behind-the-scenes and you can be a hero. See, character creates heroes, not position. Character creates heroes, not position. Now, what types of character do you have? I don't know. But maybe this is an encouragement today just to take a moment and celebrate the character that you do have. And challenge the character that maybe needs to improve. And how do you get there? Ask Jesus. See, Jesus was the guy who walked the earth and he had the best character of any man to have ever walked earth and he will help us today to reflect and look at our own character. See Jonathan was an unlikely hero. And you insert name here can be unlikely hero too. Wherever you may be number 2 Jonathan and others. Jonathan was a cheerleader Not with the pom-poms and the music, but he was a cheerleader that saw something in someone and championed it out. Would David have ever been king without Jonathan? Jonathan saved his life. Jonathan called greatness out of him. Jonathan pointed him towards God. Jonathan reminded him of his destiny. Would David have ever got there without a Jonathan? I don't know. Who are you seeing and pulling things out of? Who are your friends that you're seeing and making sure that you're pulling greatness out of? Who is God asking you to be a Jonathan to? It could be somebody who is in your house. It could be somebody who is in your workplace. It could be somebody that you don't even know yet. Can we lay down the competition? And can we pick up the encouragement? Can we start saying phrases like, how can I help you get there? How can I step out of your way and let you come through? Because you have greatness within you and I want to call it out of you. How can we do this? We can ask the Holy Spirit. What do you see within them? What have you placed within them? How can I help be a Jonathan to other people? And finally, Jonathan and God. Jonathan was called, but not to be king. Jonathan was called, but it was not to be king. You are called, and you're not called for other things. Do you know what the but not is? Jonathan didn't sacrifice who he was by giving up the throne. In fact, he became all he was supposed to be. Let me say that again. Jonathan did not give up who he was by sacrificing the throne. Actually, he stepped into all God intended him to be. He stepped into everything that God had for him. See, Jonathan's identity wasn't in his family. It wasn't in his position. It was in his God. It was in his God. He was so secure in who God had called him to be that he didn't think about that should have been me or that could have been me. No, he just stepped to one side and he faithfully served with what God had put in his hand to do. Reality, Jonathan probably would have been a great king. He was a godly guy. He was a great leader. He was courageous. He was faithful. Probably would have been a great king. But it wasn't his calling. It wasn't his calling. See, Jonathan didn't think of me, me, me. How can I get there? How can I be the best? What is my progression plan? How am I advancing? How am I fulfilling me, me, me? No, he had a godly mindset, one set on honoring God. He did what he was asked. And guess what? It was countercultural then, and it's countercultural now. It was countercultural then, and it's countercultural now. To have a mindset of not me, 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 but him, him, him. I'm getting out of the way so he can come front and forward. And if that means you and not me, by all means, take over. Because it's not about me, it's about him. It was never about Jonathan, it was never about David, it was always about God see Jonathan didn't know the bigger picture but he just trusted that God had one, he didn't know what was going to happen, he just trusted that God did Jonathan wasn't to know that Jesus would come from the line of David, Jonathan wasn't to know that Jonathan wasn't to know that the Saviour of the world who would die for all of our sins so that we could live in right standing with God was going to come from the line of David how could he? trusted that God had the bigger picture. Where's your identity? Where's your identity? Where's your security? Is it in your position? Is it in your family? Is it in your talent? Or is it in your Jesus? Is it in your Jesus? Is there something you need to give up? Is there somewhere where you need to take a step back? Or take a step to the side to let somebody else walk into their, their calling. See, it's not them or me. It's them and me. Because together we build the kingdom of God. Just as we come to close, I just want to share a story real quick. A personal story recently how God has challenged me on this. When I was about 14 or 15, I felt God speak to me and say, you're gonna be a mother to many. Not a biological mother, but a mother to many. I think I've seen that in a few years. I've received Mother's Day cards and flowers and meals. I've uh, sat in doctor's rooms and signed forms to say this kid can go on a trip. Yes, I'm their next of kin. I've seen that. I've experienced that. See, I've been called to be a mother to many. Last week in the 11.30 service, I was sat just about there on the front row in worship. And Katie, my sister-in-law, got up to come and MC to close the service, to move the service along to the next point. And a thought flashed in my mind. Doesn't that happen? A thought flashed in my mind. I miss that. What did I miss? Miss being on stage. See, what you might not know about me is that I used to be in front of people speaking publicly every day. And it buzzed me. It in me. It gave me a joy. See, I know some of you would hate being on the stage. But for me, it gave me an energy. And as I sat there and that thought flicked in my mind, I felt God say, Becky, to what gain? To what gain? because that's fine when you're you know doing it as a job and you love it and you're out in assemblies and you're out in universities and you're out in schools that's fine when you do it as a job but when you're here that's my platform says god not me that's got my platform and what Katie's doing right now she's glorifying me she's glorifying me so get out of the way becky and let Katie fulfill her calling Get out of the way because she has been called. Test my character, Lord. Test my selfish desires, Lord. Move my character into a place where it is a man or a woman after your own heart. And number two, Becky and others, I realize as Katie's here doing that, actually, she's the best person for it. She's outworking her calling, she's actually the best person. She's got a gift of prophecy to move us as a a congregation, as an audience, into the things of God. She's the best person to be able to take us closer to God in that moment. She's called. She's called. Step aside. Let people walk into their calling. And finally, Becky and God, as I am sat there and Katie is here, outworking her calling, and my brother is there out working his calling, guess who I'm holding? Their son. Because as you allow people to step into their calling, guess what, he calls you into yours. Because that Becky, age 15, who is called to be a mother, gets to outwork it in the front row of church, holding somebody else's son. As you step out of the way and let people walk in their calling, God says it's not you or, it's you and. Because as you remove yourself from the picture and you allow him to take front and center, that is when he can be glorified that is when his name can be lifted high. See, every single one of you in this room and watching online, you are an unlikely hero. Why? Because it's about you and God. It's about you and self, and it's about you and others. Father God, we thank you that you have called each and every one of us, whatever that is, whether it be big, whether it be small, whether it be on the stage, whether it be sitting next to somebody at work, you have called every single one of us. And we pray today that we would step aside where we're in the way and we would step forward where we need to take a step into our calling. We thank you, Jesus, that you have called us. And we worship you for all that you have done in our lives. Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't you stand to your feet and let's worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you.